family. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Andrew, for greeting me. <laughs> Hi. I'm um, well, thanks. How are you? Good evening. My name is Mleti, um, and I'm part of staff here at Willows. Um, and this week we'll be continuing with our sermon series on Set, uh, set Apart. Um, and this evening we'll be looking at Holiness Restored. So last year, um, just a random day, I wanted to hang out with a friend of mine. Um, and as I called up my friend, my friend was like, no, I actually can't hang out because I'm going to like a nappy pry. Um, but he's like, no, you can come with, right? So culturally, um, I, I've, I've realized this, that for Afrikaans people, it's very important that if there's an event or there's a function, um, you need an invite to this event or function so that they can cater for you there, right? And so my friend, my friend was telling me, no, it's, even though like the, the, the couple was having this nappy pry was Afrikaans, I was like, bro, I'm not comfortable with just tagging along because I understand that I need an invite. I wasn't invited. Um, if there were black people, I would just show up whether I was invited or not. Uh, simply because when we do such functions, such gatherings, we, we have more than we anticipate, right? So if someone hears about something, that means they're automatically invited. So for instance, at my wedding, um, I was very intentional. I invited 50 people, and this was during COVID. Um, so I invited 50 people, uh, but close to 200 people showed up, right? And so this was not a shock for me because I expected it. You know, it's part of our culture. It's how we do things. If someone hears something about an event, they will come, right? Invited or not, they will come. Um, and so now my friend is telling me, okay, come to this nappy pry, Afrikaans couple. I'm like, hi, no. I can't come because I wasn't invited. And so my friend speaks to the couple and says, hey, Ngeti um, is doing nothing today. He wanted to hang out with me. I'm like, hey, can you just tag along to the nappy bride? And the, the, the couple was like, sure, he can come. But now uh, my response also wasn't the greatest because I'm just like, I'm still uncertain. I'm still unsure about coming to this nappy bride because I wasn't initially invited. And so then I was like, okay, because it's a nappy bra, I need to bring nappies, I need to bring wipes. Um, but now I was buying these things out of guilt, not like out of joy, because like I want to bless this couple. They're expecting new life. You know, things are going to be amazing. Their life's going to change forever. They're going to have a baby, sleepless nights, uh, change of nappies, um, the works. And I was like, ah, let me just buy them nappies. And so the condition of my heart wasn't the best, simply because I was like, let me just get them nappies to make myself feel better about coming to this event that I wasn't invited to. But they had no issue with me attending. They were just fine. They're like, no, come. But also here's the weird thing is that now as I was preparing for the sermon and as I was really thinking about the stories that I know this couple. I could have gone to them myself and asked. I'm like, hey, I wanted to hang out with my friend. My friend said he's coming to the Snappy Bride. Is it okay if I attend? Because uh, I have their phone numbers. I speak with them on a week-to-week -week basis. Like, we're not that close, but we talk. So I could have approached them myself, yet I chose not to. I relied on my friend to be the one to go before them to speak to them. Even when I bought a gift for this couple, it wasn't for, from a place of celebrating them and, and blessing them, but it was a more from a place of, I feel bad that I am here and I'm going to eat this food. I'm going to devour. Um, and I brought nothing. So let me bring something. So when I devour all these Buravos rolls, I'm going to feel good about devouring them. <coughs> we see in the Old Testament 
that the Israelites were invited into God's presence. Yet they said, no, Moses, you go for us. You speak to God on our behalf. We don't want to speak to God because we are scared of him, of his holiness. But Moses said, no, 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 no. you guys are invited. You are more than welcome to come into God's presence. And the people were like, no, 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 Moses, you speak to God, and then we'll hear from you when you speak to God. Later on in the Old Testament, we see uh, that, 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 that uh, when Moses and Joshua and all of them passed away, now the Israelites had the opportunity again to approach God. And the Israelites were like, no, 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 no. We want a king. We want someone who's going to stand in the gap between us and you, God, so that we don't have to approach you, but someone can approach you on our behalf. Growing up, that's the context I was raised in, is that as, as the people in my culture, you know, I was having this conversation with Anru where I was just sharing that people in my culture genuinely believe that we cannot approach God. We cannot speak to God. We need someone to go on our behalf to speak to God, right? And then as soon as we get that revelation that, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I can actually go to God myself. Man, do we pray and pray and pray for hours and hours on end. Because it's like for all our lives we believed we can't approach God, but all of a sudden we can approach God. Therefore, I'm going to approach God for every little detail of my life. Us not wanting to approach God is not something new. It is something that has always been there. I, I even believe that it is part of the human condition. And for this evening's sermon, we'll be preaching from Hebrews 7, um, from verses 23 to 28. So could you please turn with me to Hebrews 7, from verses 23 to 28. And so the title of the sermon is Holiness Restored. Is that once holiness is restored, we can enter into God's presence. Could you please stand as we read the word? <coughs> The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he who holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no needs like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak so clearly to us through your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as I preach this evening, you would be the one to preach through me. I lay down all my thoughts, all my ideas. I surrender this time to you. And I say, you have authority. Speak to your children's hearts. You know where they're at. You know what they need in terms of their personal holiness being restored. You know what we need as a family of believers, what, what is needed for our, personal, for our holiness to be restored. May your presence come dwell with us richly, not just here in the service, but in our homes, in our workplaces, in our classes, as we drive, as we walk, as we live, move, breathe, and have our being. May your presence dwell richly with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
Amen. So, we will be looking at a couple of things um, this evening. So, we will be looking at the problem with priests. We'll be looking at the problem with lambs. We'll be looking at the promise of Jesus and the promise for us. So, the problem with priests. So, in this, auth- in this passage, the author of Hebrews highlights two weaknesses of the sacrificial system. Priests die and priests are sinners. So, in uh, verse 23, it says, The former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So because the Israelites did not want to approach God, they did not want to approach his holiness by themselves because there was a recognition that, man, we are sinful and we do not deserve to be in God's presence, even though we've been invited. They were like, no, 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 the priest must do it. And so then the priest system was set up in place uh, where now a priest would have to, first of all, sacrifice for his own sins um, after praying and fasting for like a week, and then sacrifice for the, for the Israelite community. Uh, and he would wear a special tunic, uh, which was called an ephod, um, and he would enter into the Holy of Holies on behalf of themselves, first and foremost, and then the, the entire Israelite community. But as he would enter in their presence, they would uh, tie a string around his ankle, right? Just in case he enters the Holy of Holies and he didn't do the sacrifices correctly, um, he would die. And so this uh, tunic that he was wearing had bells all around the bottom so that they could hear the bells ringing. And when the bells stopped ringing, they knew, "Uh uh-oh, he's dead. Let's pull him out. Because we can't just enter. Because if we just enter, that means we will also die. And who's going to pull me out once I'm in there, right? And so now... They'd pull the priest out if he died. And so that was the system in place that there were many priests appointed, but they could not continue in their roles simply because at some point the reality is the priests would die. And then another priest would have to come up, and then they would serve in that function, and then eventually they would die, and then and so forth and so forth and so forth. And this was getting to a place where it's unsustainable because how many priests can you actually have in the lifespan of the Israelite history. And that's where Jesus came into the picture, right? I'll share a bit more about that later. Not only were the priests limited because of death, is that the priests were also sinful as well. They had to make sacrifices for their own sins and then for those of the people. The challenge we have is that priests are also just normal people who are sinful as we are. In some churches, um, they have this thing which we like to call the man of God syndrome where they elevate the priest um, to the same authority and the same status as Jesus. And that this man of God, this priest, must be the one that who is going to pray for me. They are going to be the one who is going to approach God for me. And if the man of God prays for me, if the man of God approaches God for me, then I'm going to start to see breakthrough in my life. Which is why we see um, people who are making money off of selling like holy waters oils, um, prayers. Uh, Even a friend of mine told me that there was a church um, that he used to attend where if you wanted to have a one-on-one meeting with the pastor, you had to pay 5,000 rand in order to speak to the pastor, right? But that's simply because within us, we believe we cannot approach the holiness of God. Therefore, someone has to do it for us. But what we don't realize is that because of their sinfulness, they are limited in what it is they can achieve by approaching God. Sometimes it so does happen that we, we, we don't necessarily put the pastor in that role of approaching God for us, but we put our connect group leader 
in that position of approaching God for us. That if I confess my sins to my connect group leader, I know my connect group leader is going to pray for me and then things are going to start to go right in my life. Even sometimes we come to church thinking that, man, I need to hear a word from the Lord so desperately that I know whatever this, the pastor is going to preach into is definitely going to speak into my situation. And then for what, weeks and months, you don't hear a word from the pulpit that speaks directly into your situation and then you end up becoming discouraged and you start to feel like, man, this church is not feeding me because we have elevated the role of priests above that of Jesus. So, that is the first problem with priests, is that they are limited in terms of they will eventually die and that they are also sinful. Priests themselves have their own sin that they need to deal with. Priests need Jesus as much as you need Jesus as well. The second problem is that there's a problem with lambs, right? So in this passage, the author highlights two weaknesses of the sacrifice, of the sacrifice itself. All lambs die because people keep on sinning. They need more lambs. What a time it must have been being a farmer and having lambs because you were making coin. You were just making money. Simply because each and, each and every single week, because of how sinful people are, they need to buy a lamb or a goat or a cow in order for their sins to be atoned for. Imagine every single Sunday as we are here, we have Hanu with his goat. We have Anna with her cow. We have uh, Marnus with his sheep. Each and every single, imagine the people next to you just all over the place because we are sinful and then we have to continually bring a sacrifice before God. What would this venue smell like each and every single week? How much blood would be flowing here each and every single week simply because we have to sacrifice each and every single week? For those of you who do not come from a culture where there's a lot of sacrifices that happen, um, so for instance, in my culture, there's a, we, we sacrifice. We sacrifice. We slaughter. We do not play games. Um, and um, even now, it's gotten to a place where, so, so for instance, um, in, in preparing to get married, we have our Lobola negotiations, right? And in that process, if you do anything to dishonor the other family or to disrespect the other family, you get fined um, a cow, right? Um, so even now, it's become this running joke uh, between like, my peers as well, uh, where if someone disrespects us within the friend group, we tell them, like, you, we're going to fine you. You're going to have to bring a cow and sacrifice it right before us um, so you can appease our anger. And so if you're coming from a culture that really doesn't do sacrifices like my culture does, your sacrifices actually look different, right? Because sometimes you'd feel like, hmm, maybe I should pray more in order for my sins to be atoned for. Or maybe I should attend church more in order for my sins to be atoned for. Or maybe I should sing the loudest and raise my hands the highest in order for my sins to be atoned for. I remember when I was still at Vitz, there were a few students who were, were quite radical, and I love how radical they were. It's just, you know, sometimes bring it back. Um, they used to say, um, it's just, you know, just for accountability around pornography and masturbation um, and challenging each other, they would, they would say statements like, how dare you lift your hands up to the Lord with the same hand that you use to masturbate with? And it's just like, um, bring it back, bring it back. Simply because in their minds that you need to do something to appease the Lord because you have sinned against him. 
And so if you come in your sinful state and just raise your hands, you are offending God. So you need to do something else in your worship in order to appease God. What is it that you personally do whenever you know that you've sinned in order to appease God? What is it that you sacrifice? Do you sacrifice uh, your finances because you feel like, man, in order to, to get right with God, I need to give more. Do you sacrifice your time by serving more um, or do, by praying more, by fasting more, by doing more? What is the more that you personally do in order to appease God's anger and God's wrath? Because we all have something that we, we sacrifice. The biggest thing that we sacrifice in our culture right now is performance. We want to perform more for God. We want to look holy without actually receiving holiness from God. And so that is the problem with lambs. Is that the reason why sacrificial animals have been slaughtered in the thousands, sometimes even millions over the millennia, is not because they deserve death. It's because unholy people deserve death. Because of human fallenness, more animals were needed day after day, year after year, and century after century. How often have we repented of our sins and vowed never to do that again, only to find ourselves back where we started? Another day, another innocent lamb killed. What is the lamb that you are consistently killing so that you can stand before a holy God? <coughs> and then the third thing we have is the promise of Jesus. So, in this passage, the author of Hebrews tells us how Jesus offers a better covenant as a better priest and a better sacrifice. So it says the following, uh, verse 24 and 26 and 27 says the following, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So Jesus in his priesthood, even though he died, he rose again from the grave to continue his office of being a priest. He continued his office of standing in the gap between us as a people and God. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily. So Jesus need not offer any sacrifices but himself. Because he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect priest. And so when we approach Jesus with our sin, when we approach his holiness with our lives, we, not need, we need not worry about him having to deal with his sin first. We not need worry about him being in the holy of holies and then him dying and then us having to make another plan to speak to the Father. No, he is holy he is perfect he has no sin whatsoever therefore in God's presence he cannot die so therefore he continues his priesthood forever he's been our priest he's been um, standing in the gap between us and God not only that he is a better sacrifice when he sacrificed his life on the cross, it was an end to the sacrificial system that was in place. There was no need for goats uh, to be sacrificed. There was no need for lambs to be sacrificed anymore. There was, there, all, all we had to do is surrender our hearts and surrender our lives to him. So, 
He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So when Jesus died on the cross, there was no more need for any more sacrifices. There's no need for you to do more. There's no need for you to give more. There's no need to, to volunteer more. There's no need for you to pray more. There's no need for you to, um, to fast more. All these things are good for us to do as an act of worship, but not as an act of trying to earn favor with God. God has freely given his love to us through Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, there's no more need for you to perform. There's no more need for you to do, do, do. All you can do now is just come and be in God's presence. When it was difficult for man to enter into the most holy place, the holy of holies, we can now just enter because Jesus has died for us. He has paid the price for us to enter. It got me thinking, and then I was wondering, is that if God's throne was on this stage, right, and he was here in all his glory, in all his majesty, and we could come at any time and speak to God, how many of us would dare enter into the most holy place, knowing full well that Jesus has already sacrificed his life for us, that we can come to God at any single point in our lives, any single point in our day, we can come to God and enter into the most holy of holies because he has restored holiness. Knowing full well that there's nothing we can do to restore holiness, but relying on the fact that because Jesus has, is the better priest and the better sacrifice, holiness, he has restored holiness. Therefore, we can boldly enter into God's presence. How many of us would actually still enter and not feel like there's something that we have to do? That's a question I challenge myself with, is that the only distance that exists between me and God is the one that I create, because God has drawn us near by his blood. And because Jesus is the better priest and the better sacrifice, there is a promise for us so in the middle, in verse 25, the author packs something that is quite significant for us. There's, a, there's good news. There is a, um, a pivotal text. It says the following words. He is able to save to the uttermost. The verb to save is used absolutely, which means that Christ will save in the most comprehensive save, uh, sense. So when we are saved, we are not saved partially and then other things will still get saved as we go. We are saved completely. We are restored into right relationship with God. Salvation is a finished work. There's nothing that can be done to be added into the work of the cross. We are saved to the uttermost. Even when we sin within our salvation, that doesn't mean that in that moment we lose our salvation unless we choose to walk away from God. God, when he said it is finished, he truly meant it is finished. The verb is able refers to the power. So Christ has the capacity to bring complete salvation to all who approach God through him. This salvation uh, from the guilt of sin, the effects of sin, and the power of sin. 
So we are saved from the guilt of sin, the effects of sin, and the power of sin. And then, because of that salvation, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10, it says the following. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If we have truly received what Jesus has done, the better sacrifice, the better priest, that puts us in this position where we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. But I want to focus on the royal priesthood. Is that even though um, culture um, and how church is done, we elevate the priests, but all of us sitting here are called to be priests to a lost world. When Jesus in his priesthood, he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, meaning that 24-7, 365, he is at God's right hand asking God that things may go well in our life, that we may be saved, that we may re be restored, that we may re be redeemed in every single area of our lives. Jesus is always praying for us before the Father. He's praying for us as individuals. He's praying for us as, as a community. He is standing in the gap. <coughs> the enemy is consistently making accusations to us before God. He is saying, look at them. They're not worshiping you because they love you. They're not worshiping you um, from a good place. They, they are performing for you. But Jesus is always interceding and always asking God to have mercy on us, that we may always receive mercy from the Father. And because of that example, we can stand in the gap for our lost friends and family, where we can make intercession for them and ask them that, Lord, save our friends, save our family, save every single person in the workplace simply because now I understand the priesthood of Jesus, that now I am a priest myself. I do not need a Mleti or a Jonathan or a Hank or a Moritz to be my priest, but I can be a priest on behalf of those who aren't sitting in this room the place the new place that my wife and I moved to our, our our neighbor is quite angry there's always swearing he's swearing at the dogs swearing um, at what I presume is his girlfriend just swearing and just speaking aggressively and one of the things we have decided as a family is that man we will pray until that man gets saved we will stand in the gap and intercede until he gets saved last night for instance the, the, the outburst of anger was so bad that our daughter woke up from her sleep and, and started crying and immediately we were reminded that we had made a commitment to pray for him to get saved because we're seeing there's this anger then but we know in the Lord there is joy there is restoration there's no need for the life that he's living to continue when we know there's a good God who can save him in the uttermost and so who are you going to stand in the gap for? Who are you going to pray for? And who are you going to proclaim to that God is good and he loves you and he cares for you and he wants you back as a son and a daughter? 
that is what we are called to. And so as we conclude, no priest was holy and no priest was immortal until Jesus, the resurrected and holy high priest. All sacrifices died and their atoning efficacy always fell short until Jesus, the resurrected and holy lamb of God. And Jesus' work as a perpetual and a holy sacrifice saves us completely. And Jesus' saving work enables us to live a holy life. Not only live a holy life, but to stand in the gap for those who aren't in this room, for those who are far off from God, that we can enter into the holy of holies on their behalf and ask God that they get saved and redeemed to the uttermost. And so, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, I want you guys to think, who is it that you are going to make intercession for? Who is it that you, as holiness has been restored in your life, who are you trusting that holiness would be restored in their life? So that they don't have to come before Jesus thinking that someone can get them to Jesus. That they don't have to come before Jesus thinking that they have to do, do, do in order to be in God's presence. But through you, they can realize that they can just come to the Father and just be who will you be pointing to Jesus? And I want you now, as you think of that person, to pray for them, to ask God to reveal himself to him, to reveal his great love to him, to them, so that the holiness may be restored, not just in your life, but in their lives. thank you that because of your sacrifice we can enter into the presence of God that we can come boldly before God as sons and daughters that there's nothing we can do to earn us entrance into you into the holy of holies but we can just enter because you've already lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die we thank you that because of your sacrifice, we can approach the Father who is seated on the throne. And Father, as we approach you, Father, we pray for those who aren't here in this room. We pray for our friends. We pray for our family. We pray for our mothers and our fathers, our aunts and our uncles, our cousins, our neighbors, our classmates, our next-door neighbors at Rez, our colleagues. We ask that they would be saved as we have been saved. That they would have a revelation of you, Jesus, and what it is that you have done for them. That they, because of being saved, because of being restored, because of being redeemed, they can enter into your presence and have relationship with you and commune with you. Father, I even pray for those of us sitting here who are scared to approach you. I pray you would make them realize that you, you are approachable. In fact, you desire to be approached. You have drawn us near by the blood of Jesus, but it's up to us to enter 
into your love, to enter into your grace, enter into your mercy, enter into all that you are. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.